0: today, we are interviewing Nicole Cassidy, the owner of one of the most successful hair salons in Austin with an incredible story to share. Tell us your story. My story, I am from a very small town about an hour north of Detroit, Michigan called Romeo. Romeo, Michigan. There's less than 4,000 people there. And I knew that I wanted to do hair as, as young as the age of 15. I didn't really know it. I, my little sister at the time, we, I think we were at the mall shopping with my mom, and she came to me and was like, Nikki, all you talk about is people's hair and nobody cares. But in my head, I thought what I noticed and what I was so passionate about, I thought it was normal. I had noticed choppy bangs, off hair color, just things that in no way, shape, or form in my mind that I know how to fix But I saw it and I noticed it. And little sisters, that's what they do. They call out what is annoying and then you realize, oh, that's what I should do for my career because I thought that everyone (laughs) noticed those things. Um, Where I wanted to work was the next question for me. It was, again, farm town, very small. I loved art. I loved colors. I loved big, trendy, like crazy loud stuff. But none of that was happening where I grew up. So I didn't know... Where are you going to work? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to end up? Were all questions that I had. And I was also raised by my daddy. Um, His name is Bruno. He's awesome. My dad, at first, I told him California was the dream. It's like anything that's cool that's popping is in California. When you grow up in a little farm town in Romeo, Michigan, it's the only place that's cool. Um, But I ended up going to hair school right out of high school. Um... When I finished school, the my haircutting teacher at the time, she saw the passion that I had, she saw the drive, she saw that I, I wanted to be better, do better, do more, and she said, you should go work at the salon, it's over an hour away from where my dad lived at the time, but it was the only direction that I had. I didn't want to end up anywhere super negative, salon environments can be very catty and very dramatic and very whatever, and I'm a feeler, I've had big, big, big emotions, we'll talk about, I discovered where those big emotions came from, absolutely, but I am a sucker of energy, and in hair school it was tough. It's a joke, some people compare hair schools to being the equivalent of a women's prison, Cause there's all the estrogen and very little testosterone and it gets intense but I wasn't happy in that environment and I didn't know that I could control it once I got out depending on salon environment or if I were to own my own place so I took my teacher's advice because it's the only dr- direction that I had I couldn't ask my dad where to go work because as far as my businessman father's mentality all he knew was hairdressers, average $25,000 a year. He's an Italian businessman, he was raising two daughters, he wanted to raise us to know we could be strong, independent, and with financial freedom in this career field, he didn't know how that could work. So he wasn't gonna give me the advice that was gonna be. take me to the finish line. So I made the trek back and forth to the salon about an hour hour away from where my dad lived. And within six months, the owner called me and said he lived and worked in Las Vegas, that business owner. He said, we're selling the salon. I've never met you. As far as I knew, you just wanted to work here because of the type of salon that we were. It's still going to be that kind of salon. Do you want to stay? You can start looking for a new job. I just want to give you the heads up that we're out. We're selling it. We're going to go open in Chicago. And I didn't know what to do because it was over an hour away, like I said, the trendiest place that I could find, and it was leaving, so I called my dad crying. Where am I gonna go, what am I gonna do? He's leaving, they're leaving, I don't wanna work anywhere else. It was like, I'm a, I'm a committer. Like once you tell me, you go work here, and it's gonna work, I hold on to that. And my dad stopped me from crying and just asked me, did you ask if you could go? And I was like, ha (laughs) ha, that wasn't even a thought in my own mind because I had no example of that. When you grow up in such a small town like I did and you don't see anyone else leave, you don't see your friends like grow up and move away. I didn't see anyone in my family doing that. All I saw was you grow up, you stay, you graduate, you get married, you have the family and that's what the average American life is for a lot of people. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just I always craved more, but I never saw it, so I never believed that I had permission, if that makes sense. So my dad got me to stop crying, and I put my big girl britches back on, and I called my boss back the same day, and I said, you know what? like it was my own idea. I was like, I don't wanna work anywhere else. I don't wanna work for anyone else. I'll move to Chicago whenever you need me to. I will show up any schedule you need me to work. I I'll I'll do it. Just tell me when and where. And there were some things I needed to do in between because the pace of the salon that I was working at in Michigan compared to what he wanted to build in Chicago were two completely different animals. So I had to go out to Las Vegas and train for two weeks. I had to meet him. I had to prove myself and show that I was worthy because although I was hired in a different state, the salon that I came into wasn't functioning. It wasn't fully established. So he wanted to make sure I understood what I was getting myself into, which I appreciate. So I moved to Chicago when I was 20 years old. Um, I had never... I'd been there with my dad once on vacation And the salon that we purchased was brand new. My old boss didn't believe in marketing, so we built that salon from the ground up on our own. He came out to visit us once a month, and one of the best lessons that I was taught, which he said was, um, he'd call us every day and say, are there clients in the salon? We would say no. He would say, why are any of you in there? And it was like, dang. And... He said the only person that should be in the salon is the front desk staff. The rest of you should be out in the streets passing out business cards. That salon opened in October. Chicago's very cold in November and (laughs) December and January and March and all of the months. It was freezing. So in negative 15 degrees sometimes, we were walking around passing out business cards and learning how to hustle. basically was a mentality of if this doesn't build and grow and succeed, we all fail and we have to shut it down and you move home so there this is born, this thing I have in my own head that lives there forever is what is your story and what do you want it to be because what life decides your story is, you don't have to accept and he said it was possible I didn't know that it wasn't so he said make it work or fail and I did everything I needed to do to make it work That salon, within nine months, every single stylist and assistant worked open to close five days a week. I think it was 11-hour shifts for the first nine months, nine to 13 months. He called us and said, the salon is finally making a profit. You can all have shifts now, and you can all work less. And to hear that at 22, for someone to call you and say, like, you guys did it. We're out of debt. We've paid all the bills was very empowering at a very young age. It was like, holy smokes, you really got to look at it and be like, the owner was barely ever here, not that his coaching wasn't crucial, it very very much was, but he told, he just called us and said every day the threats were scary, but he threatened the management, and then the management came and told us in a nicer way this is what the boss said today, and we were like, oh my god, okay. So we did it. Um, within a matter of maybe two, two and a half years into that, I put forth a lot of effort. I'm a go-getter. I like to be good at things a lot. It also might be Italian. I don't know what it is. Blame your horoscope. Blame whatever you want to. We all got our things that we say why we are the way that we are. But I cared a lot about education, the assistance paths, growing people, management, and just I'm, since I was a kid, a caretaker. If you have a hurt heart, I'm gonna be there for you no matter what, I have zero judgment, and I like helping other people grow, so I became very quickly a director of education for the business. I was allowed to create an assistant program. We had three other salon locations in Las Vegas, Southern California, And then went in a partner salon in Utah eventually, and we would Skype in all four locations and would teach classes to all the assistants and everybody that worked there. Um, And then I became the manager of the salon in general. He just, you know, taking care of things, redoing the floors, this and that. And I remember, like, it was yesterday once, I asked him if... A job I had done to redo the floors in the salon was good enough because there was a little imperfection in it and the first thing that he asked me, and I never asked him if anything was good enough ever again, he said, would it be good enough for your dad? Because he knew how close I was to my daddy. And I was like, no, I almost hung up on him then to like call the floor company and just start a fire. But he knew how to press those buttons. Um, So, yeah, I like getting the job done. I like getting it done well or right or to the best of my ability. And if I don't have an answer, I'll find one, basically. So from Chicago to now Austin, I was very much had an attraction to someone that I worked with. He was like a hard-to-get personality. My personality, I was attracted to fixers for a very long time. I loved finding men that needed Fixing, I liked wanting, like, I needed to be needed. I found most of my relationships, I'll cut to the chase, were with addicts. I somehow managed to find or attract guys that needed a caretaker. And I did not know that this person was a caretaker at the end of it, but um, I learned my lessons from that. I ended up in Austin because I was pursued by him. So when my my now ex-husband um when we were working together in Chicago he was my manager he taught me a lot about femininity he was raised by his mother and I was raised by my dad I didn't know how to do my makeup when I was a teenager I he I wanted to cut all my hair off and the first thing he was my mentor at the time the first thing he said to me was do you know how to do your makeup and I was like why he goes because if we cut all of your hair off like you're going you may look masculine do you do you want people to treat you this way or that way and i was like well i don't know and this was at the same time like barely knew how to take care of the hair on my upper lip barely knew how to shape my eyebrows or tweeze my eyebrows there were a lot of things about me that were very 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 unfeminine because of being raised by a man because of having so many questions and i had a i had a guard up for a lot of my life but Um, He taught me how to do my makeup, he took me to the store, he matched my foundation and bought me concealer. His mommy grew up in shoe and cosmetic companies and I grew up literally working in my dad's steel shop, (laughs) like making loading lists and learning about my dad's structural business. And in his dreams I would have taken it over, but my artsy fartsy brain is so far away from that it's not even funny. Uh, sorry daddy I love you I'm super proud of you (laughs) but I was attracted to him he wouldn't commit at the time dating within our company was not allowed and then he moved to Austin his mom came up there once and said you know honey you don't have to be doing this for somebody else I'd invest in you you can open your own salon if you want to just come down whenever you're ready because she lived here with her partner Um, I was in love with him when he left it was really hard when he left He came down here. We didn't speak for about two years. Two years later, he was down here. He pursued me. Um, I moved down here. He asked me to marry him within two months, which in my head was like a fantasy. As women, (laughs) when we are chasing after someone, I I knew him for six years, but I didn't know know him. We weren't in a relationship. But it's like, that's like you're chasing after a carrot. Someone rips it away because they moved to another state and then they put the carrot right in your face and after two months say, here, you can have it. You're like, heck, yes, stupid decision. (laughs) You're like, give me that carrot, no matter what. And people try and tell you things. This is a good lesson out of this. People try and tell you things about life. The reality is you need to do it. You need to take risks. You need to take chances. And you need to learn from your own mistakes. People try and tell you he's this. Like speaking negatively about his personality traits, whereas it would have been more valuable to me to hear you know you you mean a lot to us you mean a lot to the team you helped build this salon and made it make it what it is instead of personally insulting a human that at the time i had feelings for because emotions and feelings when it comes to anything in life business and personal matter you can't just go for the jugular and start talking about the human because my heart was there at the time with him and I took all of that coaching and all of those words as just an attack and it just shuts you down as a human you're like I have zero interest in listening to you because you're saying nothing that I want to hear you're not complimenting me in order to get me to stay you're insulting someone that I have feelings for so that was a huge lesson in that situation but even you know clients and other people it was too soon that This whole story leads up to me freeing myself from something that was way more detrimental to my life than ditching Chicago for a boy, ideally or essentially, like that's what it was, but um, I did it. He asked me to marry him. We came up and down from Chicago and Austin back and forth. My lease, coincidentally, was up in Chicago a matter of months after he proposed, so I was able to move down here pretty quickly. And then our joining of the business happened. I gave up my, I don't want to say my life, because I still have my life, but I gave up the position that I had at the time. At 25 years old, I was traveling the country for my old company. I was doing hair on stage at hair shows in front of thousands of people, 4,000 people at America's Beauty Show, the International Beauty Show of America, Um, Paul Mitchell's caper where they, um, all these students, the top tier students that work their butts off selling retail, getting on the Dean's List, doing all the great things they need to do in order to have the honor to go to this hair show, we would perform on stage to recruit all of these kids. And again, managing the salon, traveling, I got to take myself to California for the first time. I had a six-figure salary stylist at 25, and it was one of my dreams was to just be successful in general because I had no idea that I could. And I gave it up to come down here and do it all over again. So one of the ways that for me, when I arrived, the salon was still shaky. It was two years in. He started it without me. At the time, my ex-husband was, he got in a little over his head because he was great at doing hair and he was great at the technical side of it. But the managing and business side, I think his mom took her retail mentality where it was, uh, you know, you just get the people in and out, they pay, they leave, and there's a profit. Hairdressing and owning a salon is a very emotional business you have to have a balance of both things. It's not just you open the doors and it works. You need to have management. You need to have a business strategy. You need to know how to treat people, and you need to know how to coach and build a team. So I came in and I helped with a lot of that aspect. I hired our staff. We now have a team of, I think it's 12, if not 13. Um, And the clientele especially, we barely had a clientele. We were barely paying our bills so the way that I built my business when I got here was I went into work still eight hours a day. I thought if I don't have a clientele, I'm not going to be all laxadaisy. As a woman and with leaving what I had in Chicago, I needed that sense of independence. I needed my success. I needed like to have something that was mine or a mental breakdown. That's what happens. <laughs> so I brought my laptop into work every day and I found the events page on Yelp. And I think that was it at the time. I found the events page on Yelp and I found every single nonprofit organization, charity event, anything that was happening in the city to raise money with a raffle or a silent auction that I could donate my services to to do free hair. I gave the first year that I was here, I gave over $12,000 worth of gift cards away to nonprofits all over the city. I would hope to God that no one would say no to raising money. (laughs) Like, this could make your event cooler. Please take this. And when those clients came in, I I did their hair like business as usual. I pretended like they were paying me all the money in the world. And then I used social media and Instagram to share those photos, hashtag do the damn thing. And I did in a year and a half here in Austin, what I did in Chicago in five, utilizing social media. In Chicago, the clientele was built over three and a half to five years by that grunt work of passing out business cards and humiliating yourself in public. Like begging A, getting people out of their personal bubble when you're in your own thought bubble of You know thinking of all the stuff you have to do or that your nose is freezing off because it's negative 10 degrees or you're just trying to get as quickly as you can from your car into starbucks without losing a finger from the cold and then some punk like me walks up to you at 22 and is like can i please do your hair like that was hard (laughs) and it took three and a half years in austin I post on social media and hashtag the right things and do free hair for charity work, and I had seven new people come in in one week and just say, I found you on social media. It was like Christmas for me. It was like, thank God, because I didn't want it to be as hard the second time as it was the first. So again, fully booked in a year and a half here. It was incredible. Um, the rocky part of the story gets now five or six years into Austin. Building the salon was tough, owning a business is tough. If you're passionate about it and you care about it, it's worth it, hands down. Like Being your own boss is amazing. Being your own boss in the right way makes it even better. My story gets scary when I started realizing very soon that I was both being a boss in my business and at home. It got hard when I started realizing I was putting in 200% work in business and in home. I was realizing that my husband and my partner wasn't being a partner because we started realizing that he was passionate and had absolutely zero interest in the business. And that's where my head and my heart were because it's 50% of what I came down here for. So um, when my husband told me he was depressed, I both, I was starting to get in my own head and I didn't know why. I thought that my... I was on a prescription for 10 years. I was on Adderall, and it was turning me into a what I thought I was blaming the drug because I'm not a depressed person. I'm a very happy-go-lucky all the time, very positive. I have tons of people that love me. I have, like, textbook. Like, you look at the person that's glowing, and you're like, everything is okay. So I blamed the pill. I was like, everything in my life is perfect, so it's got to be the Adderall. I quit taking it. Within six months, I gained 35 pounds, and in addition to that, my body had started attacking itself, and I had chronic hives, head to toe, covered in hives, red spots all over my face and all over my body, and during this time, my husband, we got, it wasn't, I guess it was an argument. Um, I just asked him not to take his bad day out on me. I was like, you know, today's my day off. I was going to get some new tires You're calling me from the salon with complaints. What's the deal? Like, don't ruin it. And then he came home that night and said, I'm depressed. I said, okay, I started doing everything I needed to do to fix this. I dove into therapy. I started talking about whatever I needed to talk about to fix my marriage. And I had one therapist that helped me out a few sessions. Then once I got into what I really needed to talk about and the impact that that had on me, She, one of my clients walked into the salon, The sweet angel, she's 72 years old. She walked into the salon and looked at me at the toughest part of my life. My husband was on a vacation and I had just looked at another therapist in her face and I said, um, I have childhood trauma that I've never told anyone about. And I was wondering if you thought when my husband comes home from this vacation, do you think that me telling him this could save my marriage? And I told her what it was. And she looked at me. She tilted her head, gave a deep exhale, and said, I'm not sure that's something that you really need to look inside of yourself and decide if it's right or not. And for me, that answer was unacceptable because the trauma that I am har- har- was harboring inside of me, I wondered that my entire life. I have been thinking about whether or not it was the right thing or not my entire life. And I needed someone. I was looking for someone to say, do it. Like, I needed permission. And that threw me through the roof because I just had, it was like right here. It was like I was a full can about to explode and I just needed someone to let it out. And at that point, you're also, your emotions are peaking and you're trying to run a business. So it was like, oh my gosh, this is like fight or flight. I don't know what to do right now. And he was gone. Um, your team and your employees are absolutely not the place for you to vent or ask them about it. So I had a client walk in the door, and she's a therapist, 72, the angel. She, I call her the willow tree from Pocahontas. Like, she is all-knowing, all-being. She's incredible. And I thought, I separate professional and personal very well. When you come in to see me as a client, I accept and acknowledge that you are coming to me to pay me for a service and my personal stuff or anything that you offer me, there's always gonna be a gentle line in the sand that is always, you came to me, you're paying me, I'm here for you no matter what. And I knew that when Michelle walked in, she was going to look at me and ask me what was wrong if I showed her the face and I didn't want to. So um, she walked in the door, I put on my best poker face, what I thought, because you, you have to have a poker face in hair. People look at you all the time, women like yourself, walk in with a pixie cut and then show you something, and they're like, I want to have hair down to my butt, and you want to laugh. Because you're like, I
1: didn't got a wig
0: for you. (laughs) Like, like they just, you know, or someone comes in with black box dye, and they say, can I be platinum? And P.S., I have to be out of here in two hours, and if I could only pay 60 bucks, it would be ideal. And you cannot laugh at them. I will not laugh at them. I like to, you know, have a, have a demeanor and a little bit of a, that's great. That's an incredible plan. Like, <laughs> long-term goal, certainly. So my poker faces, I think, I like to think are on point, or I try really hard. Um, not to a 72-year-old that has literally been reading people since the day she was born. Um, her entire career. I looked at her, I smiled, and I said, hey Michelle, how are you doing today? It's so great to see you. And she called me out on my crap faster than anyone in my entire life. Her face got zipped. She looks flat at me and she goes, darling, your ears are hanging a little low today. What's going on? And I was like, damn. But again, it's that feeling in your throat where if I even thought the words that I wanted to say to her to tell her the truth, it was gonna be tear fest, tear city all over the salon. It was not the place for that. I, on the contrary, told her, Michelle, you came in here two years ago to be my client. I respect and I love our relationship so much. I do not want to share this with you because if it means that you don't want me to do your hair anymore, I'm uninterested because I love you so much as a client. It means too much to me and I respect and appreciate our friendship. I don't want to. And she hit me back with a dear. This could be the whole reason that I walked in here two years ago in the first place. She said, I believe in this. I believe in you. I love your soul. She, without question, booked me. She scheduled me a three-hour. She had no idea what it was about, but she blocked off three hours on a Monday to talk to me, didn't charge me a dime, like literally just wanted to help me, and when you have trauma like I have your entire life you are the person that goes unseen. And if I get emotional, I apologize, but this is this is real. Um, you are the person growing up that sees the kid getting bullied on the bus and goes and sits next to him because I did that. You're the person that watches other people get into a fight about minuscule things and don't understand why they can't just let it go because you wish that your own problems were that small. Um, and I you are it's true. Like the, the what you see online, the happiest people are harvesting, or the the ones that are always giving and giving and giving are the ones that never want to be seen. It meant a lot for someone like her. This was the start of it, for someone like her to reach out and say, I am here for you. I want to talk to you. I see that something's wrong. Let me listen. No one's ever sucked it out of me. I tried with boyfriends. To When there were bumps in the relationship, I tried with boyfriends to let them know that I was sexually abused or assaulted in some way, but never gave them the full truth. I always wanted to give them a little snippet, just a little, just enough for them to understand, but I never wanted to let them have it all. Whether it was fear of them seeing it and not loving me anymore, or them knowing it and not loving me anymore, or letting it affect the way that they treated me, or... Whether or not I wanted to let it tear my family apart, I never wanted to let it out. Because I gave myself, I, I have all these defense mechanisms and all of these built-in walls that I know how to throw up and do this and that to protect myself because it, it, they're survival mechanisms that I learned from when my trauma started. Um, so I'm still learning today, even now, like through therapy, through experiences like this honestly and sharing my story to get validation to get the people that say it happened to me too to get the friend that I have right now that has been in my salon one time that read my words on the internet and just came over to my apartment to share with me that the same exact thing happened to her was one of the greatest 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 things that is that was within the last month that this has happened we're spending Thanksgiving together she's amazing too but um My first session with Michelle, I told her everything. I told her the reason I wanted to talk about my trauma was to save my marriage. And I now learned that me talking about my trauma was to save me and realize that the person that I was in a marriage with was unfit because we both had mental things. His mental thing is his addiction. I don't know where it started, I don't know where it stemmed from, but it's not my job to figure that out. I decided to dive into my trauma and recovering from it and I realized that my husband was relapsing to run away. Um, Not relapsing with any substance, his form of it is purchasing, spending, moving, uprooting, never ever ever settling down. It's the runner. It's the runner mentality of just, you know, I'm uncomfortable with where I'm at right now. I have to get up and go again because being in your own head is the most terrifying thing in the world for you to stay stagnant. So um, I sat in Michelle's office and told her for the first time in my life. I can count on one hand before speaking to Michelle how many times I told people what my trauma was. And I sat to her in her office and told her, between the ages of eight and 18 years old, I was molested. And the things that she said to me and the things that uh, I've I've never been told my entire life, she used phrases along the lines of survivor. She asked me why I had never tried to hurt myself, which the honest answer to that is, I always made sure that too many people liked me. (laughs) It was one of my defense mechanisms. It was, I, I grew up from this experience when it started. I grew up justifying the reason it was happening. So I've been built it, building reasons, and even to this day, can come up with reasons why people do things. I'm very good at reading people, stereotyping people, because I've been the quiet observer my entire life. Um, I said it happened to me because I could handle it. It happened to me because they couldn't control what they were doing. It happened to me because he's weaker and I'm stronger. Like I made up all the reasons that it happened to me as a defense mechanism to stay strong, stay alive, keep moving on, um, protect myself from any potential bullying that could have happened, and to set an example for my younger sister. my dad was not this part cut that out my dad doesn't have anything to do with it he's dealing with this on his own and I don't want him to think that he has any involvement I was going to say that he wasn't home a lot it would have happened whether he was home or not but I told Michelle all of this I told her about the trauma how long I was molested for and she asking me about survivor how how did you not hurt yourself? And all of these personality traits of who I am, and she just looks at me like I'm an angel. Um, and it's that that part has been very interesting for me because I I didn't love myself over all of this until just now because of what happened to me. There is um there's this thing that lives inside of you no matter what happens in your life. Like I thought. If I worked my tail off like, to become successful and take myself to California the way I did in my mid-20s, that I'd be proud of myself. I thought if I could like, work myself into exha- exhaustion to forget about it. But the truth of the matter is when you have trauma that you have not recovered from, your body and your mind and who you are as a person, you're like living with this permanent filter. I have never been proud of myself for any of my accomplishments. I never told myself that the work I did was good enough. I never told myself that anyone, even though I have been told the last 11 years of my career that people are inspired by me, I've never believed it. There's just this weird filter that's like, In my own head, others would say, no, you're not, but you have to understand this is a trauma, this is what we do on the inside, is I called myself a coward all the time. Like, I never wanted to be feminine or girly or put that vibe out there because I didn't want to be looked at in that way because I didn't understand what had happened to me yet. I never embraced my femininity, I was just really never, I never like, not right now, the difference of the last seven months of my life and right now is right now being able to look at myself in the mirror and go, damn, she's beautiful. Leave the house without makeup on and feel rocking. Like go going and getting a workout done literally for yourself. Like I did this for me, not because any man told me that my legs look this way or that way, or they want me to look this way or that. It's I'm doing all of this for me. And it feels so good. Like now in life, I'm saying, yeah, you a bad bee. You built that <laughs> salon. You built that team. You did all this stuff. Like it's giving yourself the credit. I've never given myself the credit because in my own head, it was unworthy. It was like you're still hiding this thing inside of you that you don't deserve to be hiding. And I had no idea like the clarity and the freedom and – it's literally the, the weirdest and funniest way to put it is the Claritin commercials <laughs> like where they have the fog over the whole screen. And it's like, is this how you feel? And then they you take a Claritin and they peel that thing off and you can see everything. That's how I felt when I looked at Michelle and let that out. And then she gave me all of her feedback and she has been, it's like, again, the same, it's giving yourself permission, like not having the example to leave where I grew up and then like constantly seeking other people's approval or whatever, it was just that one little thing was holding me back from so much in life and I had no idea. And um, I'm still working on it, but that was the trauma. This is my story so far um, in me going to therapy, my husband did come home from his vacation when I had this breakout moment of, I'm ready to talk about my childhood trauma. Oh my God, so much is going to change and get better. I was so excited. I told my whole team, I mean, I was terrified. I'm excited now because I'm not so emotional over it because I've done a lot, a lot of good inner work. But, um, he came home from this vacation. I told my whole team of 12, hey, this happened to me when I was growing up. I'm going to tell dad when he gets back so that we can all be on the same page. Stuff's going to change. Stuff's going to get better. And to hold myself accountable. And when he came home from his trip, he said, I'm going to say this first because I fear that if I don't say this first and I let you talk, I'm not I'm not going to say what I have to say. And I was like, okay, cool. What's that? And that was that he didn't want to be married anymore. Um, did not expect that for sure. I had no idea that was coming. I thought we were working on this together, but at the same token, I looked at him in that moment and was so disappointed and disgusted that he felt the need to say that to me first. I now am so proud of my the strength of my own mind to where I took that as a lesson of... I am about to turn into the most incredible, freed, powerful, badass version of myself that I've ever been in my entire life. I just told the man, because in my head, my story is, in my head, my story was, I don't want to be divorced. My parents got divorced and I don't want to be. So it was like detrimental like for this to happen. He came home, I don't wanna be married anymore. All my building blocks and my Lincoln Logs just crashed down because the story that I wanted to not be divorced was being destroyed. But in my mind, I put the blocks and the Lincoln Logs back together because I'm in control of building my own house. I'm in control of writing my own story. And I realized that I had control to crinkle that story up and throw it away because I actually wanted to write a new one. Because the one that I was holding on to wasn't good enough anymore and it didn't work. And I also acknowledged the weaknesses that he has and the work that he has to do on himself and the work that I was already embracing and doing on myself. I don't want a partner or anybody in life, especially that you're married to, that wasn't willing to go to war and fight the battle with the same size cannon that I had. I picked my gun up and I put it over and I strapped it over my shoulder and I was ready to go. And when he said, I'm not in this anymore, I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to fight it. I was like, things aren't working and I don't want to beg you to stay because that's in turn me begging to keep somebody around that I had to force to fix. And I had been doing that my entire life. My last two relationships prior to him were also with addicts. And I learned that I enjoyed fixing other people because it meant that I never needed to talk about me. I never needed to share with my addict boyfriends that I was molested because they had problems and I poured all of my fixing and all of my compassion and all of that healer stuff that I've grown up with into other people. And I, at 31, have realized that I deserve and get to turn that around and do it to myself. And it's been the greatest thing that I've ever done for myself in my entire life. I'm 31 years old. I will be 32 in literally one month. And I feel like my life just started just now. That's literally my whole story. (laughs) I won the salon, 100%. Won the salon and the divorce. Well, I bought him out of it. And it's like all of my hopes and dreams are coming true now and falling into place. And all I have to do is make them perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's important to be able, for a woman to be able to hear that. Yes. I was wondering why you think it's important for women to hear stories like yours. <sighs> It is so important for women to hear stories like this because they need to know that they're not alone. They um, need to know that the resources are out there for them to find when they are ready. It is such an emotional thing to talk about. It was really hard to talk about. There are constant lumps in my throat and constant fears of, first of all, the first mistake that I made was saying that me talking about it was going to tear my family apart. Um... The second thought or note on that is it is no single human's responsibility, woman or not, but especially women, because it's the first time in life that we've been able to talk about these things and it gets listened to. Um, It's no woman's responsibility to know how to fix themselves or try and figure this out alone. I have been doing it my entire life, and... Just a couple mistakes that were made was just the simple thing that when my therapist said, you did not do to you what happened to you. Because in my head it was, I talk about this, my family falls apart. And she says, dear, did you do to yourself what happened to you? And my answer was no. And she said, so all you're doing is speaking the truth about what happened to you. And I said, yes. So that's all you need to do. So it's really, really, really important for women to understand that when you're ready, um, when you're in a safe place, like whether there are lots of steps, steps to this. Obviously, therapy helped me out a lot because what can be more harmful is speaking your truth to somebody that is not a safe person. You need to make sure that the, your audience and your target is a very, very intimate and very private. You need to make sure that they are there to be with you and for you and supportive of you and not judge you. What's it like being a female business owner in Austin? I, What I love about being a female business owner in Austin, per se, is the amount of other women entrepreneurs that are in this city, how much respect I have for all of them, and the way that I'm actually able to band together with some of them to help each other out. I trade services with one of my female business clients um, that is an owner of a floral company. She does floral arrangements. She actually, I may or may not have encouraged her to she had been let go from her job and didn't know what she was going to do. And we started talking about what she was passionate about, what she enjoyed. And I may or may not have told her after her very first haircut with me that if she didn't start pursuing her passion, then I wouldn't cut her hair anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really like pushing people to do the things that make them happy because I am a number one shining example of what you're passionate about in life and what you love to do, you can turn into a career. You can totally turn it into something that pays your bills because I did it and she said she loves flowers and I said start your business I'll cut your hair for free you can bring me bouquets on a weekly basis and (laughs) (laughs) I will help promote you I said you bring in I love fresh flowers they make me happy it's something simple here's how much my haircuts cost If you want to bring them in once a week, I'll do a haircut once a month and just make the budgets cost the same amount as a haircut with me would. And since then, she is doing all of the flowers for her friend's weddings. Um, One of the local restaurants in Austin picked her up and wanted her to do a Thanksgiving Day display in their restaurant. So... In my business, I get to talk to women like that and help them literally start their businesses and grow. She's five months in and restaurant wants her to put flowers in their place. I thought that was awesome. And then another uh, I want candles in the salon too. I reached out. I put it on my Instagram story. I had six people reach out and it just they happen to be women. It's a coincidence. I never, you know, single anybody out, but I get to help other women succeed in business. And that's amazing. That makes me really happy. What advice would you give to girls who may be listening to this podcast? Um, What advice I would give to young girls listening to this podcast is to know that you can do and have whatever it is that you want in your life. I thought I knew what I wanted to do at 15, but I had no idea whether it was possible or not, whether... um, Whether I would have the surrounding support, others believing in me, or seeing examples of it that made it possible for myself. When I grew up and looked around at what I had created, I learned that it was very possible because I had complete control over it the entire time. Um, I had a lot of setbacks, including the childhood trauma. That could have been life-threatening, but just choosing to overcome that and getting the mental help and everything that I needed and the stepping stones to turn my life into exactly what I wanted it to be. I think it's just really all about just giving yourself permission, looking really deep inside of yourself, giving yourself permission to try those things, put yourself out there. And honestly, I wouldn't ask advice from other people because most of the time you seek advice from others, they give you an answer based on whether or not they themselves would do it. And if you make your decisions in life based off of that, you never really truly know what you've got inside yourself because you're doing what everyone else told you to do all along, whether it be cut your hair off, go to school for something that's scary, you know, try a different career path or whatever. People give advice based on their own personal beliefs and sacrifices that they're willing to make. And I think that's a very safe way to live. But taking risks is way more fun (laughs) all girls considered believes in a world where girls and women matter you can support our work by donating at www.allgirlsconsidered.org donate right now we can't do this without you